the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministry. Let me take you through a quickly through 1 Corinthians. Let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians. Let me just show you some of the problems that this church had and how it affected them as a body of believers. Paul opened his first letter to them by actually rebuking them. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff is continuing his series of sermons from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 about spiritual separation. The Corinthian believers had quite a few persistent problems, and so the two surviving letters we have from Paul to the church at Corinth deal with many of the same ongoing issues. Mostly, it seems that those issues had to do with a reluctance to let go of their old pre-salvation ways of thinking and living. As the saying goes, old habits die hard. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And today's program is the start of his fourth sermon in this text from 2 Corinthians. At the end of our broadcast, I'll let you know how you can catch up on earlier lessons if you feel the need. I sometimes hear people say that they wish church today was more like the church in the first century. Well, I get that there are many things in the modern church that need fixing. But were the good old days really that good? Most of the epistles in our Bibles were written by apostles who had to deal with sin issues in those churches. And the church at Corinth had more than their fair share of issues. Here's Pastor Steve now with some background, much of which we find in 1 Corinthians. Well, tucked away in the New Testament is a simple statement made by the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, not his second letter, but it's a a simple statement and yet a very profound statement in terms of implications. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, he said this, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand something. He wanted them to not be deceived. He wanted them to understand that they were in danger of being morally corrupted by their non-Christian friends. They needed to be alert. They needed to be aware of this. They needed to understand that their heathen associates, acquaintances, family members could be dragging them down spiritually. But how? In what way? How are they dragging them down? How are their companions, unsaved companions, negatively influencing them? Well, the Corinthians, and this really gives you an understanding of, of, of the heart of the Corinthians' problem. The Corinthians had, as a church, embraced the heathen thinking and moral pra- uh, practices, and I should say immoral practices, of the Greek pagan culture that surrounded her. In other words, the church was just like the culture she lived in. Though Christ had saved them, Christ had forgiven them, they had, in fact, he says in the first letter, they had really been saved. 
Though that was true, their sanctification was a rather slow and bumpy process. They were worldly in so many ways, worldly and and carnal. But by worldly, I mean they were so much like the world around them. In what ways? Let me take you through uh, quickly through 1 Corinthians. Let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians. And let me just show you some of the problems that this church had and how it affected them as a body of believers. Paul opened this first letter to them by actually rebuking them. In fact, the whole letter is really a rebuke, but he, but he began by rebuking them for their worldliness of quarreling, arguing amongst themselves. Notice chapter 1, verse 11. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. So a woman named Chloe had either servants or family who somehow got to Paul and explained to him that there was a problem. There was a problem. What was that problem? That there were quarrels, they said, among the Corinthians. They were arguing. What were they arguing about? Now, I mean this, he says in verse 12, that each one of you is saying, I'm a Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter. And I of Christ. And what's he talking about here? They were arguing about which Bible teacher they liked best, but but it was beyond the norm. It was not just I have my favorite and you have your favorites. And what what uh, apparently was happening here was that they had a very unhealthy view of these Bible teachers. These people had a love for Greek philosophy. This was their background and their philosophical teachers. They had their favorite teachers. And so now that they were Christians, what they did is they they just took that sort of hero worship of Greek philosophers and transferred it to their Christian teachers. They looked upon them as exalted uh, teachers, just like they look, had looked upon their philosophical secular teachers. And so which was the most beloved? Which was the best? Which was the one that really helped them? So they were, they were putting these men on a pedestal. This was not just a, a normal, I prefer this guy over this guy. This was an unhealthy admiration for Greek philosophy and for Greek philosophical teachers. And we, we know this because Paul goes on, for example, in the same chapter, verse 18, to speak about philosophy and how empty it is and secular wisdom. It has absolutely nothing to offer us of any, of any value. He says in verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I'll set aside. He's attacking really Greek philosophy. He goes on to say, where is the wise man? In other words, where is the philosopher? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Where is that man who gets up and, and debates from a philosophical standpoint? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? God has made it foolish. Why? He says, he explains in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, the world with all of its philosophy still could not come to know God. It's foolish. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God took a simple message that the world deems foolish, a message of, of Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying for our sins. And, and, and God said, this simple message embracing this, believing this, this is what saves your soul. This is how you come to know me, not the world's wisdom. That is what Paul has to say about Greek philosophy. It's nothing. And so what he's doing is he is, he is attacking this admiration that the Corinthians 
had this fan club that they had. And what he will do is he will go on to stress that he and all of these teachers that they so admired, these Bible teachers, were simply servants, servants of God whose sole task was to help the Corinthians grow spiritually. That's it. That's why he says, for example, in chapter 2, verse 1, for when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. He's saying, I am not a philosophy teacher. I didn't come to you with that. That's not my message. I just came giving you God's testimony. That's all. For I determined, verse 2, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my message. That's what I'm about. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. I was not an orator but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see what he's saying? Don't put me on a pedestal. Don't think of me like one of your philosophical teachers. That's not what I'm about. I didn't come to you like, like them. I'm not even that great of a speaker. I'm just, I just want to be faithful to giving you God's word. I don't want your faith to rest in my opinions, I want it to rest in the word of God. He says, he goes on in chapter 3, verses 5 and following, says, what then is Apollos? That's a great question. You you admire this man. What's so big about him? And he said, and about me, and what is Paul? Here's his answer. We're servants through whom you believe. That's it. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Do you see what he's saying? He is still attacking this very worldly view of loving Greek philosophy and the teachers who, who propagated this stuff. And his message is, don't be that impressed with us. It is God who did it all. I came in, I, I planted the church, Apollos followed me, he watered, he nurtured. There's some fruit that's being born, but we're nothing, we're just servants. And I think he highlighted this in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, let a man regard us in this manner. Here's how I want you to think of me. When you think of me, Paul said, don't think of me as a great Bible teacher. Don't think of me as a philosophical teacher, just as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. That's all. I am a lowly servant. And the word he used here means an under rower. He was at the, the, the bottom of the deck of those, of all those galley slaves. He was on the bottom. That's all. That's that's what his life is about. So the Corinthians were very worldly in that they exalted these spiritual teachers like their heathen neighbors exalted their secular philosophers. Bad company did corrupt their good morals. They had a difficult time escaping from the culture they lived in. Secondly, the Corinthians were also quite worldly in their attitude towards immorality, not just in immorality, but in their attitude. Notice chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. So Paul had heard, though he was not there, he had heard that there was an immoral situation that was going on, and probably several of them, quite frankly. But he says, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, even the pagans would be abhorred by this. What was it? That someone has his father's wife, that there was a man in the church who was having intimate relations with his stepmother. Now, that's bad enough, and Paul is rebuking them for that, but that's not the main point here. His main point is he is scolding the church because they didn't deal with it in church discipline, and he tells us that in verse 2. In fact, the whole chapter goes on to speak about discipline. He says in verse 2, here's the real problem. 
You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. What he's scolding them for is is having uh, an attitude of of tolerance and and open-mindedness and in not dealing with this sin. They prided themselves on being very broad-minded, that they could be very accepting. And Paul rebukes them, scolds them for this. Why? They're just like their heathen friends. They wouldn't dare speak against immorality. Bad company did corrupt their morals. Another area of worldliness the Corinthians exhibited was in their culturally accepted, just like our culturally accepted practice, of trying to resolve conflicts by suing people. He says in chapter 6, verse 1, Does any one of you, when he has a cause against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? What he's rebuking here is not lawsuits in general, but he's rebuking the, uh, the brother who takes another brother to court to solve his problem. That's why he says in verse 2, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? I mean, we're going to judge the world. Why can't we deal with the problems in the church? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? If you're going to be judging the the saints or judging the world in the future, why can't you handle your problems now? Why can't you resolve your, your conflicts? Even if necessary, be cheated rather than hurt your testimony. Now, they were very worldly like that. And we won't take the time to go through all of the the worldliness of the Corinthians. I think that gives you an acceptable taste of their problems. But they were worldly in other ways. They're very unloving, just like their heathen neighbors. I mean, that's why 1 Corinthians 13 is in 1 Corinthians. It's because they were loving. They were self-centered. They had problems in their marriages, chapter 7. They had problems in um, in their morality, And in fact, he finishes the book by saying they were so negatively influenced by pagan Greek thinking so as to accept a very serious false and heretical teaching about the resurrection and the afterlife. Folks, that's that's the problem. They were deceived because bad company corrupted their good morals. They were just like the people that they they used to be hanging with because they still hung with them even after they were saved. So the Corinthians were living proof of this truism. Good co- or bad company corrupts good morals. So what's the solution to this? In chapter uh, 1, all the way through 1 Corinthians, Paul highlights the problems, but it's not, until cha- it's not until the second book, 2 Corinthians, in which Paul gives the answer to how you deal with this, and that's what we've been studying. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14 tells us the answer to their problems. He tells us in verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. That's an important, critical statement in the word of God. Paul commands them to separate themselves from unbelievers. And as he develops this thought of separation, it becomes apparent that he is referring to separation only in a religious sense. He is not referring to social separation. He is not referring to business or or um, financial interaction separation. He's not referring to family separation. He is only referring to religious separation. This becomes apparent as we studied the passage. In verse 16, for example, he says, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So he's talking here about something to deal with, with religion, temple worship, idolatry. He says, for we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I'll dwell in them and walk among them and they shall be, uh, I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
So the point is this. You don't defile the temple of God by worshiping idols. And where Paul is going with this is he is telling them that because you have joined unbelievers in heathen worship, you have defiled the temple of God. So I want you to see that he's talking about a religious alliance. That's all he's talking about. And as amazing as it may seem to us, the Corinthian believers in Christ were actually still involved in heathen idol worship. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 10 that some of them, and I know this sounds incredible, but this is what was happening. Some of them were first going to the heathen temple, which would have orgies and would have wicked things going on. And in and they were going, what Paul says, they were coming first to the table of demons because he said that an idol is nothing, but behind an idol is a demon. So they were, they were worshiping these demons at the table of demons. And then they were actually gathering with other believers and observing the Lord's Supper at the Lord's table. I mean, that just sounds so unbelievable, but that's what was happening. And in chapter 6 of his first letter, he actually speaks about some of them having sexual relations with the temple prostitutes as part of their worship. He said, I can't, I can't join Christ with a harlot, can I? But that's what they were doing. There were about 1,000 temple priestesses uh, in Corinth. Their whole city was centered around that kind of stuff. So by not separating themselves from participating in idolatrous worship, they had bound themselves together with unbelievers and were joining them in their heathen worship. And it was having an adverse effect on the church. Not only were they very worldly and carnal in these areas that we just went over and and others, but it also, as Paul tells us in chapter 6 of this letter, it had also caused them to have a diminished love and uh, for Paul, for the inspired truths he taught. They had no appetite for scripture like they once did. And all this was going on. So Paul's primary point, and this is where everything converges on this passage. His primary point is to command the people to separate themselves from having spiritual fellowship with the unsaved of their city. He's calling them to sever all religious ties, no matter how difficult it might be. And the timeless principle that applies to us and every Christian is that this command prohibits us from having any kind of spiritual alliance with unbelievers. We are forbidden to be bound with non-Christians in the sense that we partner with them in a common religious experience of either worship or Bible teaching or evangelism. That's what this is all about. Now, this principle, though, has some very important implications, some of them which may prove very difficult in applying, but they must be applied if we're to obey Scripture. To separate from unbelieving loved ones and religious affiliations that we grew up with, that could be painful. It could result in some serious misunderstandings, some hurt feelings, some loneliness, isolation. It could have some grim social implications, ramifications, financial ramifications at at work, things of that nature. So what Paul does is instead of just saying, don't be bound with unbelievers, he actually explains why, why. And what he gives us is some reasonable explanations, some logical reasons. He wants to make sure that the Corinthians are persuaded that this is right. He wants to give substance to his argument because for them to do this and for us to do this, would often result in some painful situations. We have to be fully convinced that this is the right thing. So 
Paul gives us four reasons for believers to spiritually separate from unbelievers. We've already looked at number one, and we're going to move on from there today. But the first reason that believers should separate from spiritual fellowship with unbelievers is this. Believers and unbelievers are spiritually incompatible. From verses 14 through 16, I don't think we need to go into it again. From verses 14 through 16, though, we've already discovered that Paul tells us we have nothing in common with unbelievers spiritually. We have opposite natures, opposite leaders, opposite spiritual possessions, and opposite objects of worship. We worship the living God as he's revealed himself in Scripture. Unbelievers worship a God that they've created, which means it's an idol. They may have some truth in their religious affiliation, but not all the truth, and they have distorted whatever truth they have. For example, you will often hear a non-Christian say to you as you witness to them and speak about judgments and God's holiness and justice, you'll often hear a non-Christian say, well, my God wouldn't do that, meaning my God wouldn't punish you. My God wouldn't send anyone to hell. And the truth is their God would not do that because their God is not the God of the Bible. And if he's not the God of the Bible, their God is an idol. Someone that they created in their own mind that doesn't exist except in a demon. So we have nothing in common spiritually with unbelievers. We may have many things in common from a human interest perspective, but nothing in common spiritually. So therefore, we can't have any common spiritual alliance. Now let's move on. Let's move to the second reason why believers should separate from spiritual fellowship with unbelievers. Second reason, believers are commanded, commanded by Scripture to be separate from unbelievers. Not only is Paul telling us from a reasonable, logical point of view that it doesn't even make sense, it's irrational because you have nothing in common with them, but it's also a command from God. And we see this in verse 17. Paul writes, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. Let's stop there. In light of the fact that we are the temple of God, God dwells in us. We are his sanctuary. There must be a holiness to us. There must be a purity to us. In light of that fact, Paul now makes an application. That's why he says, therefore, this is his application. He tells us that because God dwells in us and because we are to be holy, this involves taking some definite steps to separate ourselves from anything and anyone that would defile us. We're the temple of God. God dwells in us. And that's why we must not be defiled. When God tells us to do something or to not do something, He always has a good reason for that command. Just because He said so should be all the reason we need. But I love how He tells us that He has reasons for His orders. As we've been seeing from this text in 2 Corinthians 6, avoiding spiritual alliances with unbelievers just makes sense. Those kinds of entanglements always have a negative effect on our relationship with the Lord. I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse, featuring the practical, expository Bible teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. The website offers a map to help you get to Lakeside, as well as information about service times and the various ministries taking place there if you'd like to visit Lakeside. That's lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. 
At the start of today's broadcast, I said I'd let you know how to catch up if you've missed any previous broadcasts in this series about spiritual separation. If that's where you are, we offer all of our previous programs for free streaming or downloading on the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. You should find today's class right there at the top of the page. If you need a different date, you can find it quickly by searching for that date using your web browser's search function. Let me pause here to say thank you to those who are giving to and praying for Verse by Verse. We could not do this without your support. If you've been thinking about giving, it's simple and secure on our webpage. Go to the giving page to find out how. That's at versebyverseradio.org. Or call that number I gave earlier, 727-441-1714. I'm Jerry Peterson. Spiritual separation is important. Lot persisted too long in thinking he could stay in Sodom and be a good influence. It nearly cost him his life, and Sodom was still destroyed. The Corinthian church was not the only example of God's people making the mistake of mingling their faith with the pagans around them. Israel's history consists mostly of doing that sort of thing, and that's ultimately what led to their exile. Despite the warnings of their prophets, they continued to mix with, rather than witness to, the surrounding religions. And they got tempted to be like them and finally did become like them. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will show us the connection between that history and Paul's warnings. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.